remain, you may be seated. <coughs> Let's join together now in taking our copies of God's Word. As we turn together back to the book of Acts, hopefully you're bookmarked it there because we are in the midst of our study of this book of the Bible. And this morning we will look at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. And so as we come to this passage, it would be good for us to remember just some of the nuts and bolts to help us understand what we're going to read together this morning. And we remember that the physician Luke was chosen and called and inspired to write this book. This book that covers the birth and growth of the early church. This is our family tree. These are our roots. And as we've said before, as we get ready to celebrate the bicentennial anniversary of this church, we understand our church really did not begin just 200 years ago. Our, we began back in, with John Knox in, in Scotland. Our church began here in the book of Acts. This is a story not only of the church, but of our church. A story of the birth and growth of the church that took place under the sovereignty of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is still the story of how we are under the sovereignty of God and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so we will look at that together this morning in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. So let's join together and pray for God's blessing on our time and His Word. Whereas, as indeed what we pray for, that you would be with us through your Spirit to bless the reading and preaching of your Word. Uh, apart from the Spirit, this is a useless exercise, but with the Spirit, it is a blessed and spiritual exercise. So I pray that the Spirit will be here with us, with each of your people, with your messenger, so you would be glorified in all that is read and said and understood this morning. We praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. We will stand together for the reading of God's word. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to, to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking to heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. As I, as I mentioned last Sunday, I believe if you were to go out and ask a group of, of, of average professing Christians, average professing Christians who are semi, at least semi-regular churchgoers, if you were to ask them to summarize the life and ministry of Jesus, I'm sure they would probably start with maybe the announcement of Jesus, but surely with the birth of Jesus. 
They might talk some about his, his baptism. They would probably mention some of his teachings and miracles. I, I would imagine they would also talk about his, his betrayal by Judas. Certainly they would they at least covered a trial, but certainly the, the, the suffering and crucifixion. And they would end with his death and resurrection. And I think for, for many people in the church, Jesus' resurrection Easter morning, in, in some sense for them, marks the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's the resurrection. It's the, it's the empty tomb and then period. That's the end. Next story. Yet it doesn't take much more than a cursory reading through New Testament to realize that more happened after Easter morning. None of the Gospels ends within Jesus was risen, period, and then it's next book. Matter of fact, there's a total of 40 days, so close to a month and a half, we have recordings of our, our the, the recorded stories and testimonies of, of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus walking and, and talking and teaching. That wasn't the end of his story. Matter of fact, at the end of all of that, something spectacular happens, and this is the ascension of Jesus. It's spectacular in the physical sense because the apostles are watching their Jesus, their resurrected Jesus, ascend into heaven. But it's not just spectacular physically, but it's full of meaning as well, as we will talk some about this morning. But sadly, the ascension has become one of the least understood moments of Jesus' life. We know Christmas. We're getting ready for the Holy Week. We, we know Easter. But where is the ascension of Jesus Christ on the radar of your faith? Now, if somebody were to ask to you, ask you, could you explain the significance of the ascension to me? I'm sure you could explain Christmas. You could explain uh, Easter. But could you explain the significance of the ascension? This is the event that Luke opens up the history of the church with. And I wonder why this is something that so many Christians seem not to be familiar with. It's in the Bible. It's there. Why are we not familiar with it? It's a redemptive event of profound importance because the ascension marks the moment of Christ's highest point of exaltation prior to his return. It's the ascension, it's in the ascension that Jesus entered into his glory. And it's so important and vital that it's recorded in scripture. We confess it every week as being essential to our faith. We say, Christian, what is it you believe in? And we confess in part the ascension of Jesus Christ. Because it teaches us and reminds us that our risen, that our Jesus is a risen Jesus from the dead. And our Jesus is also an ascended into heaven Jesus, where he now lives. Jesus didn't die a second death. Jesus didn't disappear. Jesus didn't go on vacation to the Bahamas. He is an ascended Jesus in heaven. And I want us to take a moment and think through how much of the ascension informs what we believe and what we do. And let's start with prayer. Why do we pray? Why do you pray? Well, the first right answer is because we've been commanded to. 
God commands us to pray. God gives us examples of prayers. God gives us encouragement of prayers. But we also pray because of this. In whose name do we pray? Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus because Jesus has ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father to be our mediator. And part of his being our mediator means in part that Jesus prays for us. Paul tells us in Romans that that, that the economy of prayer, we pray, and we don't pray as we ought to. We know how weak and sometimes it seems uh, uh, worthless our prayers can be. But we we pray them, and, and, and Paul says the Holy Spirit takes these prayers and he takes them up to Jesus, the ascended Jesus, takes them up and presents them to Jesus and groanings that go beyond our comprehension. And what does Jesus do? He takes our prayers and he prays them for us before the Father. Why do we pray? Because your Jesus, my Jesus, our Jesus has ascended to heaven where he takes our prayers and he prays them as they ought to be. That's our encouragement in prayer. Also think, why do we live faithfully? Why, why do we try to live faithfully as Jesus' disciples? Well, again, the right answer is because we've been commanded to. But because our Lord and Savior is not a dead Lord and Savior. He's a risen Lord and Savior. He's an ascended Lord and Savior. He's a living Lord and Savior. And we are told that one day he will come to judge all those who ever lived. This isn't to make us fearful of Jesus, but to give us the reminder that because Jesus has ascended, one day we will have to answer for every word and thought and action we have ever committed. And so once we start thinking through the implications of the ascended Jesus, we find that it informs so much of our teaching and so much of our living. It informs our our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy. It's a big deal. And it's one reason why Jesus described his departure from this earth as being better for us than his abiding presence. Yet we find it is a neglected teaching. Had a classmate from seminary who wrote his doctoral thesis on the ascension of Jesus because as he went to go study, he realized that even in a Reformed church where we, we love the Bible, Sola Scriptura, the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture. Even as he looked around in our tradition, you know what he could not find a lot of books on? The ascension of Jesus. And yet what does Luke include in the opening chapter of the history of the church? It's the ascension of Jesus. And so this morning we want to look at some of these aspects and meaning of the ascension of Jesus. And so as we we look at verse 4, we we find that Luke begins to summarize what Jesus did for the 40 days between his resurrection and ascension. And he says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise uh, of the Father. And there's some Greek wordplay taking place here. The the Greek word for staying here, it really strongly (coughs) expresses the point that Jesus was bodily resurrected, even to the point of eating. Now we can think of the story uh, of the disciples out fishing in the early morning and they look on the shore and they see somebody on the shore and there's a campfire going and they can smell fish cooking and as they get closer they realize it's the risen Jesus who's cooking uh, breakfast for them and so what does Peter do? He jumps out of the boat and he goes swimming in. 
right? But with this one Greek word, Luke is bringing home the point that Jesus was so really and so very bodily resurrection that he was able to eat and drink. Right? He's not just a ghost. He's not Casper, the friendly Jesus ghost, you know, floating around. He, he's, he's not just a spirit going here and there. He's so very real and bodily resurrected that he would eat and drink. That Thomas could come up and put his fingers in his wounds on his hands. And during that 40 days of being very and really bodily resurrected, Jesus was continuing to teach and to lead and to give last minute instructions and details before his ascension. And what he is doing here is he is he, he is preparing them for the upcoming baptism of the Holy Spirit of what their ministry will be like for the apostles and for things such as that. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's putting the period on his earthly ministry. And we all remember having to learn how to write. And when you finish a sentence, when you finish a thought, what do you put at the end of that? You put a period. That concludes the thought. That concludes the sentence. Now you're moving on. There's no more to it. Jesus' ascension serves as a period to his earthly ministry. He is getting ready to finish his earthly ministry and ascend into heaven. So he's wrapping things up. Here he is putting a period on his earthly ministry. But he's putting a period on it for a reason. And we see as he's, he's, he's preparing them for the ascension, but he's also preparing them for the blessings of the ascension. And, and so as he's putting a period on this, he, he's doing this to help them get ready for what's getting ready to happen. And, and sometimes we need to be prepared for what's coming next. I, I know of my, my personality and my makeup, I do best when I can be prepared for what is coming my way. And Jesus knows this about his apostles. He knows that there's just something he just can't spring on them. They need to be prepared. They're not the brightest of the bunch. They're not always they're not the they're not always the brightest bulb around. And Jesus knows that. He says, okay, I need I need to prepare them for what's going to happen next. So he commands them to stay in Jerusalem. And why are they to stay in Jerusalem? Because they're to wait for a baptism. A baptism that will only come after his ascension, but a baptism that will change so much for them. Another way to put it, their world is getting ready to be rocked. Once Jesus ascends, their world is getting ready to be rocked, and he wants to prepare them for this. But this isn't going to be the same kind of baptism that had been given by John the Baptist. Because this is a baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus, or John's baptism was a ritual that it was only a shadow. It was an outward form that represented the reality to come. But these disciples, these apostles, are going to receive the reality behind the ritual. And what's that reality? They're going to receive the third person, the Trinity. They're going to receive the Spirit of God Himself. Now let's just take a moment and think of the magnitude of this. It's not just God going to be there walking side by side with them as they had with Jesus. As Adam and Eve had in the garden with the Father. But no, it's going to be something more intimate. It's literally going to be God residing in them 
through his Holy Spirit. And they need to be prepared for that. This is, this is what Jesus is trying to get them ready for. But this is, this is also a reason why Jesus described his departure from this earth as being better for us than his abiding presence. He knows his disciples, the apostles, are going to mourn his leaving. But he wants them to understand that in the economy of the Trinity, he needs to leave, he needs to ascend, so then the Holy Spirit could descend to his people. So that the Holy Spirit could descend to them. And that reality is coming, and it's coming soon. And Jesus says, your world is getting ready to be rocked. But I want you to be ready for it. Because after I ascend, and because of my ascension, then the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Now I think there's something interesting to note here. That there's nothing they could do to bring about this baptism. Right? They couldn't go out there and, and conjure up the words. They couldn't go out there and put together the, 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 what was going to happen to them. It was going to be done to them. Their part would be completely passive. Going to Winthrop, across the street on Cherry Road, was a Christian bookstore. Wish I could remember the name of it, but I can see it. It was next to substation. Fat Boy remembers the restaurant. He can't remember the name of the bookstore. But there's a man who worked in the bookstore and he called himself St. Thomas. There's your first red flag. If somebody refers to himself by saint, that was the first red flag. And St. Thomas, when you came in, especially with college students, he would want to take you into the back so he could baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And especially if you found out you were a Presbyterian, man, he turned the fire up on that. And he would say, you've only had one baptism, but you've got to have the second. You don't have the Holy Spirit. If you come into the back with me, St. Thomas will get you the Holy Spirit. Sounds creepy when you say it out loud, doesn't it? <laughs> but that's what he did. And we look at this and realize, he couldn't do that. Who's the only person who could do that? The ascended Jesus. It only after the, the ascension to the right hand of the Father, that Jesus could baptize with the Holy Spirit. All they were called to do was wait. And that's a good reminder for us, isn't it? We are called to wait upon the Lord. We wait in prayer. We wait by being in His Word. We wait by sharing in fellowship. We cannot make the Lord work on our time frame. We would love to, wouldn't we? Man, I know I would love to. I would love to. If I pray for something, it just shows up like that. Like a genie in a bottle, right? Let me make my prayer, and it shows up. But even something, the magnitude of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they are called to wait upon the Lord. And we need to wait upon the Lord as well. Not necessarily for his baptism. We'll talk more about that later. But in all things in life, we are called to wait upon the Lord. We see the need for his preparation because the disciples are still confused. Look what they said in verse 6. When they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, there's an interesting dynamic here. Do they mean this in a physical sense? Because remember, they were confused before. They thought Jesus would come back to restore the physical Israel to make them a dominant nation in the region where other nations feared and trembled at them. Are they still thinking along those lines? 
Or can we give them a little bit more credit and say, they understand it's not physical, a physical kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom, but they're still struggling with what it means. And, and I tend towards the spiritual side of the asking, because you want to give them credit. They see, they've seen Jesus crucified, they've seen him resurrected. Hopefully they're starting to get the point. But I also think we see it in how Jesus answers them. He says in verses 7 to 8, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so what Jesus is basically saying to him is, Look, as you're asking the wrong question." Because you're looking in the wrong direction. And so what's he do? He says, here's what you should be asking, and here's who you should be looking to, and it's the Holy Spirit, his ministry. They shouldn't be necessarily be, be worried about what they're worried about at this point. They should, be, they should be looking forward to what he had just reminded them. It, it's his gentle rebuke for them to remember the baptism he had just told them about. You guys aren't listening to me. You're asking the wrong question. You need to be looking in this direction and asking about the Holy Spirit. And there's echoes of Deuteronomy 29, 29 here where he says some things aren't for us to know. That knowledge only belongs to God. But what he makes known to them is the Holy Spirit. He says the Spirit will give them spiritual power to go out to places unknown to tell them all about Jesus. Now, this isn't the first time they've heard about the Spirit. Listen to what Jesus has taught them already. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And, notice a connection there. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father that he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name... He will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So there's a sense that this, this is Jesus putting maybe another period on the theology of the Holy Spirit. Here's who he is. Here's what I've been teaching you about. And now... My beloved apostles, I'm going to ascend into heaven so this Holy Spirit I have told you all about will come to you and bring you all these blessings. That the Holy Spirit is the gift of the Father, promised in the Old Testament, and it's the gift of Jesus the Son. And so this is who the apostles should be looking to and preparing for because as Jesus says, it's only through the ministry of the Spirit that they can go out and minister the gospel to all ends of the earth. So as Jesus is preparing them for the ascension, he's also preparing them for the one who will come after the ascension. As he prepares them for what life is going to be like after he rises up, he is telling them, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit will be upon you, you're going to do wonderful things you never thought possible. You're going to go to places you've never heard of. And we're going to see this kingdom grow through that ministry. But in order for all this to happen, in order for there to be a church, in order for there to be pastors, in order for there to be missionaries, in order for there to be church pastors, 
or for, for, for church planters. In order for all this to happen, what first has to happen? And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus departs in a cloud. This is more likely a reference to the Shekinah glory, the, the, the cloud of God's glory. And that Shekinah glory exceeds and radiates any ordinary cloud because it is a visible manifestation of God's radiant glory. So this isn't like Jesus had a jetpack and went up and hid behind a cloud and kind of went away. Now this, this, is, this is not at all ordinary. They're watching their risen Jesus rise, ascend, and this cloud like no other takes him away up into heaven. And if you and I were there at the apostles, you know what we'd be doing? Same thing they're doing, looking up and gawking and trying to piece together all that's going on. But as we confess, as we see in Scripture, Jesus' ascension is, is, is referring to his going to a special place for a special purpose. Because he goes to the Father, sit at the right hand of the Father, and at the right hand of the Father, he is seated as the head of his body of the church. This is Jesus ascending to his office to be over the church. And once he's in that position, what does he do? He pours out his spirit unto his people and to his church from that position. That is the importance of the ascension. That's why Jesus, that's why scripture is recorded and we confess it. Because this is the story of the risen Jesus being ascended to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father, where he now sits as the head of his church. And from that comes so many of our blessings. Really, I would say all of our blessings that we receive as his children, as his disciples, as the members of his church. It all comes from his ascended position. He is ascended in glory and he is ascended for our blessing. That our Jesus isn't a dead Jesus. Our Jesus isn't a Jesus on vacation. Our Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty where he dispenses all blessings for his people, where he dispenses his spirit upon his people. The ascension is for the glory of God in Christ and for our blessings as his children. And so Luke concludes this story by saying two angels had to come to get them to stop gawking up at the heavens. But for them to understand what's going to happen, because what did, what, what, what did the angel say to them? That the ascension of Jesus will one day be reversed. That he, one day just watch go up and the glory of God will one day return in the clouds and the glory of God. And so from that moment onward, we live in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's what the Bible refers to as the, ends of the, the end of the ages. You and I now live in the end of the ages because we're waiting for Jesus to return. We live in the anticipation of that. That the Jesus who ascended will one day descend. And what are we to do in that time period? We are to live 
in the light of the truth of his return. We are to live in and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who is now God with us. Who points us to God's word, speaks to us through his word, and reminds us how we are to live by his word. It's interesting to note in the church we have this fascination of when Jesus is going to return. Is it going to be when such and such an event happens? Or when such and such an event happens? And we want to put all those pieces together. But what does the Bible tell us? Jesus says, I don't even know when I'm coming back. That's for the Father to know. And Paul says, he's going to come back like a thief in the night. You're not going to, be pre- you're not going to know when, but you're to be prepared. How much time the church and Christians have wasted on a question that's unanswerable instead of investing in how to live in that time. And we invest living in the anticipation of Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the word, in prayer, and in living for the ascended Jesus. Jesus will one day return. As we confess, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And what we're reminded of here in the ascension is that we best prepare for the second coming of Jesus by living in and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that was poured out upon the apostles at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been given to each of us as his people to live in and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.